Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, Stories and Sermons for the Journey, a channel of blessing and encouragement for friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We have stories of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we have the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. I'm your guide, Pastor Kevin Job. I'm very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yamile Cruz in Jovellanos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as chief connection makers in the United States. Our team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants is dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. And so we pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons and reflections and the testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. Hey, welcome back. Last week we were in the Gospel of John chapter 11 in a little burg called Bethany where Jesus was busy showing God's awesomeness and miraculous power by raising his best bud from the dead. It's a pretty impressive scene and it comes with a straightforward lesson for us. God always arrives on time. That's what the Bible tells us, right? Well, yeah, but as I said in closing last time, there's more than just that moment in the story of God and his beloved children. What about when the scripture tells us that God doesn't always arrive right on or in just the nick of time? Huh? What do you mean, Kevin? That's not right. Well, yes, it is, at least in part. Now, to understand what I'm getting at, we, we need to think time in more than one way. In, in the Greek language and thus in the scriptures, we have at least a couple of different words dealing with time, and these words have distinct connotations. One of them is chronos, and chronos is the measure of quantitative time or exact time, seconds and minutes and hours. And in the context of this Greek word, it's used in the Bible 53 times. It's about right now. What time is it? When are we leaving? All those kinds of questions. And this understanding of time is the one from which King David often asked God, How long, O Lord? Until when, in other words? Now, thinking back to our last episode and Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, I can imagine the women burying Lazarus and initially thinking, listen, we sent word to Jesus and he didn't show up, and now what are we supposed to do? We've buried our brother, his best friend, and the guy who has been making miracles happen all over the place didn't make it happen for us. What the heck? And then anguished days of tears and sorrow. Shortly thereafter, though, Jesus shows up and makes everything better. Well, for everyone but him, but that's another story. Never mind. Anyway. All of that takes place in the space of a short chronology. And that is all well and good for this little piece of God's story. And my goodness, it does impact my understanding of Jesus as the embodiment of the all-powerful God. But that all-powerful God is also famous for saying, "Um, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. You see, we think in chronos. It's comfortable. We can relate to it. Knowing what time it is and when exactly to expect things is helpful to us in our lack of faith. But the purposes and the ways of God play out in in ways that are in another context of time. And it gets expressed to us in the scripture using the Greek word kairos, as in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. That's kairos in the fullness of time or at the appointed time. It's out of this concept that we get promises from the prophets, like this one in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. That shoot is Jesus, connected at the appointed time to the house of King David. 
And then Jesus eventually shows up in Galilee and says in Mark 1, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, the kairos, the appointed time. And the people thought, sweet, it's here. He's going to kick some Roman butt and make it all better. The kingdom has come near. However, it isn't all finished just yet because more eventually is coming. As Jesus is about to leave the earth, it says this in Acts 1.6, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has sent by his own authority. Now the disciples asked in Kronos right this minute, and Jesus answers in both Kairos and Kronos, Ugh, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, we humans have never been fully satisfied with this fullness of time thing. God's appointed time or eventuality does not often line up with our schedules and itineraries and expectations. And it very much strains the confines of our weak faith. Now, in defense of our weakness, though, there are places where God doesn't speak or show up on time. Now, I am not here to say that God's kairos isn't perfect. In the larger picture, there is no doubt that the Lord of heaven and earth has it all in hand and that it all works out for the good of his children. But I am going to go out on a limb and say that his attention to our felt need for him in Kronos time doesn't always line up. The Old Testament prophets often suffered from the way in which God's plan didn't always bring solution in their moment in time. Hosea's marriage, for example, or Habakkuk's complaints. Habakkuk 1, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Huck complains. Actually, most of his book is a complaint. And then God tells Huck what he's going to do, but the prophet never gets to see it. It will come in the appointed time, Kairos, but our days are numbered. And Habakkuk will not live to see what God has promised. His Kronos will run out before God's Kairos is fulfilled. And Huck will just simply have to be content. As he says, I'll wait patiently for the day. Even though there's no evidence, I will rejoice in God. And then somewhere around 75 years or so after Habakkuk, the prophet Malachi writes his word from the Lord. And then silence. Between four to 500 years pass with no real word from God to Israel. So where is the blessing of the world to the offspring of Abraham? Where is the promise of the stump from the root of Jesse? Where is that promised king from the line of David? generations of men and women live and die and their children and their children live and die and there's no word from God. Tombs are carved and bodies are buried and the whole cycle of life and death repeats and repeats seemingly without end. Israel is conquered once and once again and no one is showing up to resurrect the dream of the kingdom of God. There's a great theater song by a Jewish composer of the late 1960s that I imagine speaks to Israel's mindset as these centuries tick by one second at a time. It asks, till Messiah comes, what about today? Till the mountains move and oceans part and angels sing and life can start, what about? Yes, what about today? And one day centuries later, when Israel's ancient dreams had decayed like Lazarus' stinking body in the grave, the long-awaited one came with that sweet announcement from Jesus. The time has come. Believe the good news. I am the resurrection and the life. 
many believed. And then they too waited. We're going to take a moment now for a short break. Stay with us for more on The Ancient Path. At Ancient Path Ministries, we hope to carry the light of the kingdom of God into places where it is most needed, to see people set free from what holds them captive. Now, our ministry is built on connections in Christ, and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you would like to be a covenant financial partner or just simply contribute to the work of the ministry, visit our website at ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we're back. Listen again to these words from Acts 1, verses 6 and 7. The apostles gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It is not for you to know the dates or times the Father is set by his own authority. Here's the thing. The whole New Testament was written and proclaimed with the idea that God's kairos, the appointed time, was coming in chronology very soon. When the disciples heard times or dates, they were not thinking of 2022 AD. Jesus would be back soon. They knew it. And their very lives hung on that fact. When we read the Word of God in this light, it can make drastic changes in our understanding of things. I mean, let me give you an example of a passage that moves many modern believers quite deeply. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Paul writes to the church and he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now across the centuries, taking the scripture out of its initial context, a myriad of doctrines and theologies have been foisted on top of it. Raptures and relief and longing, true longing for the culmination of the kingdom. And because we exist for this moment in Kronos time, we ask, what about today? And we reshape that word for our time. But beloved listener, this letter was written by the missionary apostle Paul to a gathering in the first century. And these verses on which we build many of our end times theories, 20 centuries removed, follow these words, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 15. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep, just like Lazarus, they've died. The primitive church believed that Jesus would return to this earth in their own lifetime. And when Paul wrote of being caught up together in the clouds, it was to help people know that all was not lost, that even as they were still waiting on the second coming of Christ, that death would not be permanent. He did not want them to lose faith in the midst of God's seeming silence in their moment. In our day, we make much of the end times. We, we scour the writings of the prophet Daniel and we point to the book of Revelation. And we're certain that ours is the moment in which Jesus will come and fix it all. But John the Revelator was just as sure that this was his moment. 
After all, Jesus himself gave John the vision of how it all ends, the culmination of kingdom come. And the churches that Jesus wrote to were real communities in that moment in time. And the symbols and the enemies and the visions of heaven all existed on earth in 90 AD, the same as they had when Isaiah wrote about the throne room in heaven hundreds of years before that. But as Jesus had said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So from the apostles questioning Jesus to Paul comforting the church to John, the last living apostle, the first generation was certain that the time, the appointed time, was now. And for the last 2,000 years, the church around the world has looked for the signs and the wonders that Jesus promised would indicate that the day of the Lord is upon us. Movements have been raised up at intervals proclaiming that we have never been closer to Armageddon, etc., etc. Jesus is coming. It's imminent. Get ready. And each of those movements have seen their generations fall asleep in death. And then from God, it seems silence. Last week, I finished reading a novel by Shusako Endo called Silence. It's a fictionalized account based on the true story of Portuguese missionaries in 17th century Japan. And as the story unfolds, a ban on Christianity is being brutally enforced, and the priests are forced to watch and listen as their Japanese brothers and sisters, who came to Christ by their preaching, are brutally tortured and martyred, even as the priests pray for Jesus to sweep in and make it so that their story does not end in death. In the end, God's seeming silence in the face of such high degree of suffering is simply too much. And to stop the horrors... They renounce their faith in Christ. And the reader is left to ponder what happens to these people. These people who had sworn allegiance to Christ and who indeed gave over most of their lives to follow their calling. Even going so far as to risk their lives to make the long and dangerous journey to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Is there still grace for them, for the compassion that made them do whatever they had in order to stop the suffering of the faithful? Will they be part of the victory celebration when kingdom comes, or are they damned for all eternity by this moment of weakness? Those who find themselves weak in faith don't count on the fullness of time. They need Jesus in this moment. And God does not always speak in our particular moments. A favorite songwriter of mine wrote this question to God. Do you who live in eternity hear the prayers of those of us who live in time? We can't see what's ahead, and we cannot get free of what we left behind. Friends, this is very, very real. In our moment on earth, with seemingly unlimited ways to communicate unlimited ideas to unlimited numbers of people, there are more theories and theologies and perceived threats than ever. But we don't know the dates, the chronos, and the times, the kairos. God is in charge, and some days, to be honest, I just don't hear anything beyond silence. Yeah, I I know there's a ton of Christianese about how we just aren't listening. And, you know, that's true a lot of the times, but not always. I mean, what do we do when agreement in prayer is so overwhelming, but the outcome doesn't match what we were sure we heard from the Holy Spirit? It's hard to look to the fullness of time. What are we going to do when the mind of a loved one is wasting away or when a pregnancy goes awry? When we feel stuck in the past and God just doesn't seem to care when we ask, what about today? What do we do when our children turn their backs on faith because 2,000 years have passed and apart from supposition and crazy internet theories, there seems to be no sign of Jesus showing up to raise us out of this grave. What do we do? Paul writes to encourage another church in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, Kairos, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Neither the Thessalonians nor the Galatians nor any church in Revelation had the fullness of time. They only lived in their moment and they all tasted death before the promised return. The prophets who could see glimpses of the fullness of time still struggled with a God who stayed silent in their moment. Jesus doesn't always come riding into the rescue before people die. So what do we cling to? Friends, these are legitimate questions. And when I find myself prone to wallow in the doubt that can come with them, I will inevitably hear from a brother or sister at La Santa Antigua. As I've said before, these are people of remarkably deep faith who live in the facing a level of adversity that most of us can't imagine. I was struggling to find a hopeful end to this episode when a dear brother sent me a message about the work in Cuba. He said that right now things are really, really hard, but then in all caps he wrote, but God is very great. And then he proceeded to unleash a wave of affirmation and encouragement on me. Don't be so worried about the storm, Kev. Eagles fly above them. Everything you are doing is written in heaven, and one day the reward will come. <laughs> in the silence, God still speaks, I guess. So I'll leave you with a piece of scripture that I have framed and hung on my wall next to my desk. And of course, it's a worship song. It's the last chorus of a worship song by the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 3. He writes these words. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. May it be so. Amen and amen. This brings us to the end of our time for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us next time as we continue to explore the word of God and the witness of his people. And again, be sure to check out our webpage, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. Until next time, we pray God blesses you richly. Go and be the church.